Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Himalaya. Hello, and welcome to That Conversation, a pod course dedicated to the proposition of helping you talk to the person that you're in love with. In this episode, we're going to get down to the real nitty-gritty. I love this part. It's all about process and procedure. It's specific advice about things that you can use to help you have that effective and meaningful conversation with the person that you're in love with. And yes, I know all of this process and procedure business sounds very unromantic, and I have to cop to something up top. Everybody claims I'm a court low on estrogen, and I might be. I'm not a very romantic person. I don't believe in soulmates and finding the one. I believe in love. I believe in marriage. I believe in good, strong relationships, even outside of marriage, where you find how to be with somebody in a way that makes you both happy. But I believe that that love and that and that strength of relationship is in part of function of the ability to communicate effectively. And to do that, you have to do so intelligently. And that's not a romantic thing. That's a process and procedure thing that can help you with your romantic thing down the road. So let's get started with this. You're listening to That Conversation, a Himalaya learning production. For exclusive content and to talk to me directly, Go to Himalaya.com and enter the promo code JudgeLynn at checkout to get your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. One of the most effective ways to have a good conversation is to make a point of starting out right. You know, a conversation rarely ends better than it starts out. And before I get down to the nitty gritty of this, I'm going to tell you a story. And this story is about a couple that I saw on a Before Your Vows session of Divorce Court. Yes, I know Divorce Court is about people leaving one another, but I like to be proactive in everything that I do. So we created a section or episodes on Divorce Court called Before Your Vows. And Before Your Vows allowed me to do what I always wanted to do. In Divorce Court, I always wanted to tell people, have you met each other? Did anybody talk to you before you two got married to tell you that this wasn't a good idea? Anybody could have seen this coming. And so I decided to do an episode or episodes about Before Your Vows. Give them my understanding and beliefs about what their relationship would look like down the road and how to effectively enter into one. Part of that process is a compatibility test that I put together and that I would have each litigant fill out. In this episode, we had two litigants. I'm going to call them Bob and Sue. Sue was very unhappy. And Sue just couldn't understand why Bob couldn't get with the program and give her what she needed. She complained about everything, the way he talked, when he talked, his emotionality, his 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 conversation, his his economics, everything. And so I asked her, I said, well, what do you want with him if you're so dissatisfied with him? She says, 
well, I love him. I just think that if he would listen to me, he could make me happy. Now, I was listening to her and that, that, that did not make sense to me until I took a look at her compatibility test. In that compatibility test, I always ask them to list five things that's wrong with them and five things that are wrong with your partner. Ms. Sue listed 10 things that were wrong with her and 12 things that were wrong with her partner. And therein laid the answer. Miss Sue was simply unhappy with her life and she didn't know what to do with it. She was complaining to him about all the things that she felt he needed to do, but even when he did them, they didn't make her happy. So she was dissatisfied with him completely but did not have the ability to get up from his romantic table because she didn't know what was wrong and had nowhere new to go. This story is an example of the number one thing you have to do before you have an effective conversation. You have got to figure out what the topic is versus the issue. Let me explain. Everybody gets a topic. For instance, People will come into court and say, I don't like what he does with his passcodes and his DMs and his likes and his social media. That's the topic that they're always talking about. They're fighting about those things. When in reality, the issue is really jealousy and insecurity. So what people often do is end up talking about a topic, but not getting to the issue. And therefore, their conversation does not help them out because they're not talking about what they really need to resolve. When you want to talk about something, first you have to be clear in your mind what it is you're looking to do. Are you asking your significant other to do something? Are you simply trying to express how you feel? Do you want your significant other to start doing one thing or stop doing something else? Or is it just a logistical conversation? How are we going to get from A to B? Or when are we going to do this as opposed to that? Uh, Are we going to get ice cream for the kids? What flavor? Those are logistics. But when you talk about those topics, they often have underlying issues. And you have to make sure you know what that underlying issue is so you can approach that and not just the topic. The topic is what you raise in the moment. The topic is something that you believe you need to deal with at the time. The issue is whatever makes that topic problematic. Let me give you an example. Lots of women would come into my courtroom and say, he never takes me out. The guys would reply with, yeah, I did. I took you out last month. Do you remember? Then she would say, well, you never say thank you for the things I do around the house. And the guy would respond to me, yeah, I do. Remember two weeks ago, I thanked you for dinner. The topics were small, eating, going out. But the underlying issue was, I don't feel valued and loved. Let's take it from the other side. Often dudes would come into my courtroom and say, my woman does not appreciate me. She would say, yes, I do. How could you say I don't appreciate you when I work, when I clean, when I cook, and when I do all those things for you? Often what I found in this circumstance, the guy felt like he wasn't being a meaningful member of the relationship. 
if he's not the primary breadwinner, or if he felt like she was telling him what to do all the time, he felt disrespected by her being the lead or in charge. Now, I'm not telling anybody how they run their relationship. If you want a leadership or non-leadership, all of that. But what I do want to say is you have to understand the mindset of the man or the woman that you're with and understand how what the circumstances make them feel. Because often the topic is about one of the symptoms of the circumstances, but the issue is really something else altogether. Now go back to previous episodes two and three to consider again how you realize what emotionally is on your mind as opposed to topically on your tongue, okay? So now we go from there. Timing is important. Oftentimes we talk about things or bring up a subject when we first have some feelings about it or when they first happen to us. And often though it is the most chosen time, it is the least effective time. I'm gonna give you two stories from that 33 year project that is my marriage to illustrate my point. The first one is me and lost keys. I lose things by the dozens. I am disorganized and I'm impractical and I lose stuff. And oftentimes I'm in the house throwing stuff about looking for things. I've lost my keys, I will say to my husband before we are trying to get in the car and he would get annoyed. And he would say to me in that moment, and I understood it because he was annoyed in the moment. He would say, why don't you put your keys in a place where you can find them. And then he would have a whole long story, all of which was very accurate, about how being organized will assist you in not losing things. Cool. But here's the thing. When you tell me that I should be more organized so I won't lose my keys, all it does is add to my current frustration while I'm looking for my keys and it makes me less amenable to the critiques that you have. The time to tell me to be more organized is one day when nothing is at issue and you see me putting stuff down and you say, you know what, baby? If you put these keys over there in that drawer, then when we wanna go somewhere, we won't have to spend 20 minutes looking for the keys. Timing, get my feelings to work for you. Because when I'm looking for my keys, I'm frustrated, I'm upset. So you upsetting me more by telling me the things I didn't do that put me in that situation doesn't help me or you get out of it. Let's turn that sucker around. Back in my early days with my husband, I always used to get mad because he wasn't on time. I have this pathological penchant for punctuality. I like to, when you, when I say eight o'clock, I mean eight o'clock. If it's 8.05, call me because something happened to me because I don't like to be late. So when he was late, I would be irritated. And the minute he came into the door, I would start yappity yap yap yapping about how he's late. And let me tell you about that timing. Number one, it doesn't make him there any earlier. All it does is upset him and make him mad about being late. Number two, what that taught him was in the future, as he is being late or as he's coming home late, 
He's going to have that in his head that when I get there, this woman that I married is going to go after me because I'm always late. So he's tensed up and angry coming in the door, anticipating what I'm going to do to him once he gets there. And the fight is on before we even see each other because we're both in a place where we're going to bring up a topic at the wrong time. My mother told me that, and she also told me this. You tell them later. You know, baby, what bothers me about you being late or deeper still. You know what we could do to make that easier when you're late is to give me a call, do this, do that, or the other thing. But you do it at a time when the issue is not at hand. This leads me to the next important point. You have to approach people when they are in the right frame of mind. You don't have to. I mean, sometimes you have to deal with a, with a circumstance right right at hand. If, if you're barreling down the road at 100 miles an hour and there, there, there's something going on, you have to say something right then about, hey, maybe you need to slow down because you don't have the time to pick a time to talk to about it because you need to resolve that problem right now. But picking a time where the person to whom you, you're speaking is most amenable to hearing you will help you get what you need from them. I make sure that uh, I don't approach him right when he walks into the door because I want home. I want that door. I want the, the, the threshold of our house to be a welcoming place. So if I carpet bomb my dude every time he comes into the door, I set up a negative emotional response to the mere fact that he's going to return home to me. That is clearly not what I want to do. I don't approach him when he's upset about something else because you don't allow agitation from elsewhere to be loaded on to whatever you have to say. I love to wait till after a good meal, a good conversation in order to get his mind frame to work for me. If he's happy, if he's feeling good, he'll be more receptive to any requests, ideas, or emotions that I may float. So I take the time to make sure my timing is something that will work in my favor. Another thing about timing is making sure you know what kind of mood that you're in. And that again goes to the point of when you bring something up. If you're upset, you have to know why you're upset and what upsets you. And even if you have the right to be upset, which you often do, ask yourself, is upset the best way for me to go? If lobbing complaints, if, if, if yelling, fussing, accusing is something that will get you what you want. In the moment, if your mind ain't clear and you're worked up, you won't be able to choose your words as effectively. You won't be able to listen to the other person effectively because you're so busy, stuck in the emotional mud in your own mind. So clearly, when you think about timing, it's his mind and your mind so both of your emotions can work for you in resolving whatever issues you have. Now, I talked about getting your mood together and your emotions together to make sure that you can speak in a manner that gets you what you want. That takes us to 
the next part of this conversation, which is about the tone that you use when you do raise that issue you usually have trouble with. As I said earlier, conversations rarely end up going better than they start out. So what you want to do is make sure it starts out in the right way. My personal preference is to come in cool. Now, my personal pet peeve is the extent to which we're not good at coming in cool, not just in our romantic relationships, but kind of in general. We seem to be a bit uh, mm, loud and poppy these days. We are easily offended and undone by simple things, and we tend to react with a great deal of bluster and blow when bluster and blow, though you are offended, may not get you what you want. If you come in cool, you can always bluster and blow later. It is hard, however, to bluster and blow and then revert to cool. Having as many options as possible is the best thing for you. So don't eliminate your options by coming in with an attitude that you can't come back from. Cool, you can always come back from. If cool ain't working, you can get strident. If strident doesn't work, you can get angry. But you have to be angry in a controlled manner. Anger is a weird thing. It pops up on you quickly and it makes you stupid in the moment because you're doing a lot of feeling and there's a lot of static in your head. So even when you get to angry, you need to pause and ask yourself, how is the best way that I convey my anger? Sometimes it has to do with the phrases that you use when you start a conversation that you know is going to upset either you or him or both of you. Take, for example, opening phrases. I have littered my marriage with opening phrases designed to set the temperature and tone when I am approaching a topic I know might start some trouble at the crib. Here are some of my favorite ones. Baby, I'm not trying to start anything. I would just like to say, baby, I'm looking to solve a problem here. Let's see if we can't. Baby, can you help me? Baby, I'm feeling a little, and then I put however I feel right after it. And another one, this is one of my favorites, is, you know what, hon? I really appreciated when you and then I go into something else. Now, I want you to note what all of these phrases have in common. Number one is, I don't start out with accusations. I don't say, you made me, or you didn't, or you shouldn't, or you could've. I said, I'm. If you start out with you, and in a pointed finger kind of manner, what the person you're talking to does is, have all of the adrenaline and cortisol that your body expresses when they're under attack, and it'll get them agitated and upset. So what you've done is you've signaled that other person that the fight is coming and that they have to defend themselves. When people are busy defending themselves, they can't hear. They're just trying to stay safe from your criticism. 
But if you start off with a I need or I want or this is what it is, it doesn't feel as accusatory. Another thing these opening phrases have in common is setting up the table. When my husband hears me say any one of these things, he knows I'm about to go somewhere that may not be the most pleasant of places, that I'm about to communicate to him a want or need that I need to, or something from him. If I set the table, he can get his mind around the fact, okay, this conversation is going to be this way, that way, or the other way. And then he has the time to deal with that information in a way that says, okay, I need to listen. In addition to that, what it does is, is let him know, I do want to discuss something that's upsetting me, but I don't want to argue and I don't want to blame. I'm just looking to resolve. Again, that helps set the tone and the temperature that'll allow me resolution as opposed to an ongoing argument. Here's yet another thing that I use in my attempts to set the tone of any conversation, especially if it's going to be difficult. I use my body language. You know, if you stand somewhere with your arms crossed, that's a signal from your body to the other person's brain that there is going to be issues. And even if you don't say it, they feel it because our bodies and our minds look for signals in things like body language. Listen, if I'm going to do something or if I'm going to get on a topic that's going to be complicated, difficult, or hard, I get right up next to my man. I mean right up next to him. I touch him on his leg or on his hand because that calms people, that soothes people. I smile. I smile. That's a message from my mouth to his mind about who I am and what I'm trying to present. Uh, It does not make me weak. A lot of people say, well, if I have, if he's done something or if she's done something wrong, I have a right to. You most certainly do have a right to come in hard, hot, and heavy. But ask yourself, how often has hard, hot, and heavy gotten you where you want to go? Not only that, hard, hot, and heavy sets a tone in your relationship that when there is conflict, it's going to be ugly as opposed to, you know, I'm with somebody who loves me enough to approach conflict, to approach conversation in a way that allows me to feel comfortable and loved and honored and respected. That kind of thing feeds the foundation of your romantic relationship as opposed to picking it apart with all the bits and pieces of the complications that we run into throughout all of life. Everything's a negotiation, everything but you don't have to negotiate from across the table. You can do it side by side. Timing, tone, and topic, people. That's part of the process and procedure to get your conversations with your significant other in a place that will be able to help you resolve, solve, love, reassure, and build foundations of a positive romantic relationship as opposed to an ongoing washing machine of unresolved issues. Take your time. Do it right. Get some of your own opening phrases. 
make sure you can look at your face of your partner when you do an opening statement and see, huh, how are they responding to it? Did they look alarmed? Did they look angry? Do they look confused? Whatever you do, when you start with that tone, make sure what you intend lands in the manner that you meant it to. This is the start. This is the process and procedure. And I think that it will help you to do a little homework. And yes, that's me again with this homework business. What I would like you to do is pay attention to how the person that you're with starts their conversations with you, especially the difficult ones. Take a look at it and make sure that when they're starting a conversation that you understand the nature of the kind of conversation that you have. I would also like you to take a moment to make a plan to have an opening statement about any argument or conversation that has been a problem throughout the history of your relationship. You know, uh, if you do what you've always done, you will get what you've always gotten. And sometimes you just have to try new and different in order to figure out what new and different will do for you. If nothing else, you new and different will allow you, will, will shake you too out of the out of a rotating issue that you can't get around just because you've approached it in a new manner. Deeper still, the next time you want to have a conversation that might be a little difficult, just say, hey, you know what? We need to have a conversation about A, B, and C, and it's always been a little difficult. Can we try to do it a little differently this time? Address it. Make sure that both of you are working for the right end. That's your homework. That's what we were talking about that conversation today. The next episode, we're going to talk about active and effective listening. Because once you start the conversation, you have to understand what's being said in that conversation. And if you have tools for effective listening, you'll be able to do that much easier. In the interim, please join that conversation community on Himalaya.com. Leave a question. I'd love to have an entire podcast in which I simply answer what's on your mind. Please join me here, join me there, and I wish you the best of talking to whomever you are in love with. Until next time. To get the most out of this show, check out my exclusive episodes available only on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app on the go. To talk to me directly and access exclusive content from other shows like mine, go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code JudgeLynn for your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy.